and joining me right now here on the phone line to go over the latest in the world of sports here for Thursday. This guy does a great job with the Florida Today newspaper. He's Mr. 321 and also Mr. 904. He's everywhere. He's Tim Walters. Cue his music. There's no I in team, but there is in Tim. How's bowling going on Monday then? <laughs> Not very good. I talk about it on my podcast. On my podcast. Podcast. I love it when a plan comes together. Tim Walters, how you doing today, buddy? Doing fantastic, Mark. Another beautiful day here in Brevard County. Can't wait for this weekend, Mark. A lot of good things going on. Yeah, we were talking off air about all the postseason high school sports that are going on right now. Let's go over the latest here on a Thursday. What's going on with postseason soccer action for high school here in Brevard County? Yeah, first of all, in a, in a first in school history, Edgewood Junior Senior High over on Merritt Island, their girls' soccer team will be playing for a state championship on Saturday morning. They won over in Auburndale yesterday. And uh, congratulations to the Red Wolves. Great job by that team. Last year, they were highly ranked, and they bowed out uh, during the tournament. And now they get to play for their first state championship ever. So uh, hopefully we'll see the Red Wolves take home a state title. And then last night, Mark, this was so cool. The Vieira girls and Vieira boys played at home in back-to-back games. And the Vieira girls won 2-1, to one, and the Vieira boys won one nothing. So both will play next Wednesday in state semifinals. And if both win, they will play the ensuing Saturday in state championship games. And, of course, uh, the Vieira boys won the championship last year, and the girls won, what was it, two or three years ago. So, you know, Vieira soccer continues to be strong. Of course, they have that bedrock of Space Coast United right there in uh, Vieira, which is why my kid plays there, Mark, because, uh, you know, they're really developing great players there, as do the other uh, soccer, you know, BSA over in Merritt Island, which puts out a lot of the girls on Edgewood. So just great youth soccer here. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, our fourth team that was still alive, the Holy Trinity boys, they bowed out to a really good team that will probably go on and win that state title in that bracket. So, uh, so that is high school soccer. In basketball, Mark, we've still got the Palm Bay girls still alive. They'll be playing next week. And then in what I call just an absolute rarity, and Brian McCallum has a story up on floridatoday.com today, we have three boys' basketball teams still alive in Brevard County. So that, that's really a big deal. Um, you know, uh, if they win their region finals, um, they have a chance to play in the state semifinals next week. So uh, just to read you a line from his story, no Brevard boys' team has played in a state championship basketball game since 2017 when Florida prepped it. So, so uh, you know, think about that. So we've still got the three teams still alive, Mark. That's Holy Trinity, Rockledge, and Palm Bay. So Palm Bay boys and girls with a chance to grab some state championships. So, you know, uh, so winter sports coming to an end, but we could bring home several titles here, Mark, as the spring sports, baseball, softball, track, are all getting underway. So just a lot going on and just excited for a lot of these kids here in Brevard County. We're here with Tim Walters of the Florida Today newspaper. You said since 2017. Is that a long time ago? Because I thought you were going to say like 1987. But man, that was seven years ago. So maybe that is a while ago. Yeah, I mean, 2017 seems like you blinked and it was five minutes ago. But seven years is a long time. You figure the kids that were on... Uh, Florida Air in 2017, 
they're now 25 probably college graduates and wow. you know many with children so uh it is a long time ago mark all right i'll put you on the spot i have never gone to the state tournament which i think's in lakeland have you gone to it before I have. It's been some time, but I've been over there. Uh, you know, the arena over there in Lakeland, uh, the RP Funding Center, I believe is the name of it, unless they've uh, gotten a new oh. sponsor. But it's a it's a great venue. You know, I've been over there for, for several different things. But, yeah, they, they put on the basketball tournament every year. And if our teams are in it, Brian McCallum, Chastity Banks, our two great reporters, and Craig Bailey, our wonderful photographer, they'll be over there cataloging it for us and you know, I mentioned Craig Bailey. He's got great photo galleries up at Florida today of the Vieira boys and girls playing at home last night. So, so many great things to see at FloridaToday.com as we highlight the great kids here in Ward County. All right. So, like you said, soccer and basketball. Then you'll have baseball, softball. That's going on right now as well. I mean, it's a good time of year, especially coming off the Super Bowl. Now you're here in late February as we head into March. All right. We've not talked what did you think of the Daytona 500 that was on Monday, which feels like it was seven weeks ago? Oh, I got to tell you, Mark, I was at Shore Lane's bowling alley in Merritt Island during my bowling league, and I was when that big wreck happened, and Ross Chastain, our hometown boy from Alva, who I've had on my podcast several times, he was in first place. I was excited. I was jumping up and down. I thought he was going to get it, and then with a lap and a half left, he tried making that darting move down the middle because he was losing speed. He was starting to move position. He saw the opening. He tried to take it. He got clipped. It's a shame. He got knocked out of the race. So he finished something in the neighborhood of, what, 21st or 27th. He, he finished in the same spot he started. I remembered reading that. But I was just I was so sad to get uh, see Chastain uh, taken out. And you hate a race ending on a caution like that. But, you know, good for William Byron last year. You know, Mark, they, they do this silly thing every year where they run a simulation 10,000 times of the Daytona 500. And I can't remember who they said the winner was. It's supposed to be this year. Uh, but last year, it was William Byron who didn't win. So they were only yeah. off by one year with their 10,000 simulations of the race. But, you know, like I said, I, I hate seeing a, a race end under caution like that. I, I really wanted to see our, our Florida boy get the smash of watermelon there in Daytona. But he's young. There's always next year. All right. If you would have won the Daytona 500, would you have start doing the wheelies, you know, burning the tires? Would you have done that? Would you have started going up the fence? What would your game plan have been? Oh, boy. If I win, the, uh, number one, I wish I could do that backflip that Carl Edwards used to do because I always thought that that was cool. But, yeah, I'd be doing donuts. I mean, I'd, I'd probably try and climb up that stanchion up to where they wave the start-finish flag. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd look like a maniac out there, Mark. Uh, that, that's how crazy I would go if I won the Daytona 500. I should also mention, since I said that I was at Shore Lane, I had my best, one of my top five right. best bowling nights ever that night. I must have been that pumped up with adrenaline watching the race. All right. What would you score then? First game, 207, second game, 220, third game, 227 for wow. a 654 score. Man, you know, don't let that smile and those glasses fool you. You are a stone-cold killer, aren't you, at bowling? <laughs> you better believe it. Yep, I take it very seriously. And uh, I, I went through a slump. I was having a, a period of struggles for, for about two months, Mark. And the last two weeks, I've absolutely broken out of it. So I hope I can keep that momentum going. Maybe I just need a NASCAR race every Monday. Maybe sure. maybe that's what it is. Do you spin the ball? 
Oh, you better believe it. I got a big old hook. <laughs> Do you have your own ball? I have more than one oh, ball. Oh, man. Oh, man. Are you the guy that shows up with the bag and then you have the towel and you're cleaning the ball and then you have that kind of whatever that wrist glove is? Do you have that as well? No, I don't have the wrist glove. Uh, everybody shows up with m- way more balls than I bring. I bring two. Uh, I do use the towel to wipe the oil off the ball because you don't want the oil to be where you're putting your hand or to affect the spin of the ball as it goes down the lane. So there are different factors, Mark. When you have a hook, you have to kind of you know uh, learn where the ball's going. And if you have other people that are following the same trajectory of hook as you, it's also going to affect how the ball spins and hits the pin. So believe it or not, Mark, there's more to bowling then just grab ball, chuck ball, watch pins fall. And drink beer, right? So there's there's a lot going on here. Back to Daytona, Mr. Uh, what are we going to call you? Uh, <laughs> gutter ball? What would your nickname be? I got to work on this. Um, I, but, you know, one time we what? had funny nicknames, and we had little poop emojis on our shirts, and my nickname was the Soiler. Wow. You, I don't know why supermodels are not banging at the door to, to be with you. Okay, the Soiler. <laughs> My my favorite part about Daytona is there's like 10 laps to go. And you know they want to crash into each other. And they try warning them like, hey, let's just finish this race. No. And even on the broadcast, the guys are like, yeah, they're going to start wrecking into each other. It it just boggles my mind. You know it's coming, and then it actually delivers with the crashing. I just it, – it's amazing. It really is, Tim. How about you? Oh, I thought it was comical. They were putting up quite words on the screen that said, when will the big one happen? Yeah. It's like they want these guys to crash. They know they're going to crash. They were packed so tightly. When they were getting three wide, I was like, oh, boy, something's going to happen here because they were staying too wide for a while. And then when they get that wide, I mean, those guys are going so fast. And, you know, because of the, the way that the cars are built, there's not huge differences in how fast they can go and things like that. So you're talking about, all of those cars bunched up, you know, everybody looking for that slight advantage. And somebody's got to wreck somebody else, Mark, because uh, because that's what happens. So, uh, you know, if I was the one who made it out of that big one and continued to go on and win, uh, I would have another reason to be called the Soiler. When we <laughs> – the Soiler, just stop it. When we were at Daytona last week, it's funny when you're in those garages and you see a team – where they got like 10 guys working on the car. That's all they do. They're working on this car to make sure it's at a top condition. Then there's this hotshot driver shows up. Like it's, you know, Cole Trickle from Days of Thunder. This hotshot driver. And it's like, hey, guys, give me the keys. I'm going to crash this thing. No! Don't crash it! Oh, I'm going to crash it. No! That's what I love about the dynamic. There's a whole crew of 10 guys they got to make sure this car drives correctly. And then you got this one jabroni who shows up, and he crashes it all the time. It, it's an amazing marriage. It really is. Well, the funniest part about it is the driver is also the smallest guy. Oh, yeah. He looks like a jockey. So you have these 10 big, beefy guys whose hands look like frying pans from working on engines. And then this little dude shows up, hey, guys, I'm going to drive the car. And then he crashes it. And it's like all 10 of those guys could probably rip that dude from shred to shred. But he's the one getting paid the most money, so yes. it's uh, it, it's a great dynamic. I remember being down there on pit row uh, uh, during practicing. I want to say it was maybe in 2007 or eight. And aside from Tony Stewart, who's kind of a decent-sized fellow, I, I felt huge, Mark. I, I felt like I was amongst my people there. I like it. 
And they probably go like, hey, hey, don't you forget my name's on the car. I'm the one who gets to crash it. <laughs> That's what I imagine. Excuse me. You know what's funny about that? You talk about the body. If you've have you ever gone to like Larson Motorsports there in Palm Bay through FIT? I have not. Uh, I've seen the pig. We've had stories and yeah. uh, we've had you know reporters do stories on them, but uh, and photos. I, but I have not personally been down there. Uh, this is for everyone who's listening. It's like if you ever get a chance, you should take a tour because. You know, Elaine Larson and her husband, like, they do a great job. And she told me, Elaine, on one of the tours, when you look at that that rocket jet-fueled car, they build it for the human being. So if your dimensions are five foot eight, 160 pounds, you better be five foot eight, 160 pounds when we start doing that race. They have to build the car for the driver. You can't show up. I know it's mean to say, Tim, but you can't show up and be like, eh, sorry, guys, I... I've been eating a lot of meatball subs lately. I put on 20 pounds. Like you can't, you can't do that. That's what's so crazy. So I think also with that car, yeah, this is even a NASCAR. You better make sure you're a certain height and weight if you're, cause we got to get to this, uh, you know, this checkered flag after a while. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it just makes sense. The smaller, the lighter the driver, right. that's an advantage. Cause like I said, these cars, they're essentially all made of the same bits and pieces and then they just get a slightly different covering Ford, Chevy, or Toyota. Yes. So it's like you're looking for every advantage you can. So if one dri- one team has a 160-pound driver and the other team has a 130-pound driver, that 30 pounds can actually make a monster difference when you're going 200 miles an hour. So, you know, I, I, I probably missed my calling, Mark, because I just oh. need to shed about 10 pounds, and I would be perfect for being an NASCAR driver. Um, then explain to me in Major League Baseball where guys come to the plate – and they have seven diamond gold chains on, and then they're running the base. How does that help them with speed? I don't understand. Uh, it doesn't. It just makes them look like Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you were in baseball, Tim Walters, you so would have all those chains on like Mr. T. You so would do it. I know you. I'd also wear a mohawk. You you would have the mohawk. That's what you'd go with. All right. I've learned so much today. You have the towel for your ball at bowling. You'd have a mohawk when you do good baseball. I've learned so much. I really have. Um, speaking of baseball, I went to Met Spring Training on Monday. I did. I went with the family. We were in Port St. Lucie. It was 60 degrees. The players, they practiced for about 45 minutes, and they said, I didn't sign up for this. I'm here for the 80-degree weather. It was a good time. Are you going to check out any of the baseball spring training moving forward here in the next couple weeks? Oh, definitely. And I have some time off in March, so I plan to go down definitely and see the Mets there. And I'm glad you also left me the opening for this, Mark, because on my podcast this week, the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network, I have two great podcasts out with baseball royalty. The first one with Andre Dawson, former Chicago Cubs, Montreal Expo, Hall of Famer. He has a tournament going on in historic Dodger Town starting Friday and going through Sunday. It's for six historically black colleges. They do a round-robin tournament, and they come down to one winner. Florida A&M is one of the schools involved. That's where Andre Dawson played his college baseball. So it's something near and dear to his heart. So Andre and I, we talk about the tournament, the teams involved. But then, of course, we get into the Chicago Cubs, how going there not only changed his trajectory, but saved his career because of the natural grass as opposed to the turf in Montreal that was ruining his knees. 
We talk about Harry Carey, who many of us grew up listening to on WGN. And he also updates us on his former teammate, also Hall of Famer, Ryan Sandberg, who is right now battling prostate cancer. And Andre is in touch with him regularly. So it's a great interview. If you loved watching the Cubs in the 80s or you just love baseball, uh, the one with Andre Dawson is great. Then the other one, speaking of the Mets, Mark, I had a guy named Art Shamsky, who is an outfielder on the 1969 Miracle Mets. But for a newer generation of people, the name Shamsky might ring a bell because it was the name of the bulldog on Everybody Loves Raymond. Ray's brother Robert had a bulldog named Shamsky, and it kind of keeps his name alive in the popular zeitgeist because, of course, that show is on TV land every night. And I had only known the name Shamsky because of the bulldog. So I did my research. I learned that on the Miracle Mets, he was second on the team in hitting with 300 average. He was second on the team in home runs with 14 homers. He had a sensational catch during the playoffs, and he was just a wonderful interview. He's now 82 years old, but he still does all sorts of things for the Mets, and he'll be down there at times in Port St. Lucie as well. He lives part of the year in New York and part in Boca Raton. So two great podcasts, Andre Dawson and Art Shamsky. Check those out wherever you get podcasts. All right. How much of a fanboy were you during the Andre Dawson interview? I tried to keep it in check as much as possible, but I have to tell you, Mark, and I I rarely uh, allow my vulnerabilities out in public, but at the end of the interview, when I told Andre that my dad was somewhere up in heaven smiling down upon me getting to talk to Andre Dawson, I did almost cry a little bit because my dad and I bonded over so many Chicago Cubs games. And of course, you know, he, we just passed the 20th anniversary of me losing him to cancer. And so he never got to see the Cubs win a World Series. He, his favorite players were Mark Grace, Andre Dawson, and Ryan Sandberg, as were mine. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was such a cool thing to talk to Andre, talk to him about those teams, talk about Sean Dunstan and the Sean O'Meter. So yeah, I, I did fanboy a little bit, but I also got emotional at the end where he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, some, th- you know, being, uh, what being in Chicago meant to him and fans and things like that. And I, I told him how much that he had meant to me and my dad. So it was uh, just a great interview, Mark. He was uh, He's a very low-key guy. It took a little bit to get him going because yeah. he wasn't saying much at first. But, you know, as people can hear on the radio, I talk a lot. I can loosen anybody up. And, and you know, a couple of minutes in, Andre felt totally comfortable, and we had a great interview. Okay, when I was a kid, he won the MVP. What year is it? 1987, 49 homers, 137 RBI for a last place team. Oh, man, that is remarkable. It really is. Uh, So on Sega Genesis, I would have this game, and it was MLBPA Baseball by EA Sports. So it didn't have – it's funny to say this now. It didn't have the rights to Major League Baseball. So it had the players, but it didn't have the teams. So you just have Chicago versus Texas, New York versus California. But I would be as the Cubs in that game because of the lineup. So I think it was the 93 lineup. So you had Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson, ooh, Sean Dunstan, Glenn Allen Hill was on that team. Oh, I can keep going if you want. I love those teams. I really do. Yeah. You're, you're probably looking with, with that lineup around 90, 91. Andre Dawson oh, yeah. is there. 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, and 92 was his last year in Chicago before he departed for the Red Sox. So he was there for six seasons, won five gold gloves in right field, uh, won the MVP his first year there in 87. And, yes, they were, we had uh, Joe Girardi 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, Damon Berryhill were the two young catchers on the team. Uh, in 1990, we ended up bringing in Jerome Walton, who had a great year. As I mentioned, Mark Grace, Ryan Sandberg, Sean Dunstan. Early on, there was Rafael Palmero was a Cub. Greg Maddox with his first stint. Rick Sutcliffe, Mike Bialecki. Every name I'm saying is making me smile bigger and bigger, Mark. I love those teams. What year did Sosa go to the Cubs? I got to think about well, this. Well, Sosa is the one that basically took Andre's job in right field. He started out with the White Sox. And I think he came to the Cubs in maybe 92, Andre's last year there, or maybe it was 93. Right. That I would have to go back and look up. But it was right around there. But, yes, he ended up taking right field away from Andre Dawson in 93, which is why Andre went to the Red Sox. Of course, by then he was 35, 36 years old. His knees were worn down, and he didn't have a great 1992 season. But he stuck it out for four more years in the bigs, two with Boston, two with the uh, Miami Marlins. And then he had a long affiliation with the Marlins. But now he, uh, as he told me, he's no longer affiliated with them. He does stuff mainly for the Chicago Cubs. All right, here's Sosa. Rangers in '89, White Sox '89 to '91, on the Cubs '92 to 2004. That's what it is. Baltimore, then Texas, and then he didn't play anymore after that. One of the, it's just sad. I, I know I'm bringing up bad memories now. Sosa was great. But he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. It's a shame. And, you know, Mark, I still have I have two VHS tapes because <laughs> that's how long the coverage in the game and everything else was from the 1998 game with him and McGuire where, uh, you know, they faced off and uh, the home run record was broken. So it was, uh, yeah, just great memories. It is unfortunate what happened with Sammy Sosa. But, you know, Andre Dawson – he was one of those guys, hit, you know, he was probably maybe the best slugger of the 80s. If you look at his actual numbers, the number of home runs he hit, when he hit 49 in 87, it was the most home runs since George Foster in 1977. And, you know, he was hitting home runs like that in the dead ball era. And he wasn't a steroid guy. You know, he didn't look like one of these puffed up people like Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. He looked like a great athlete. And, you know, he just, uh, it's a shame his legs wore down. He said that was all those years playing at Olympic Stadium, but Chicago kind of gave him a, a renewed life. So great for Andre, and I'm glad he's putting on that tournament, staying true to his Florida A&M, and, you know, helping out a lot of kids that, that may not otherwise have that chance. Is he in the Hall of Fame as a Montreal Expo? He is. He went in as an Expo because he played there longer uh, but, you know, like I said, he, five of his gold gloves were in Chicago. Three were in Montreal. His one MVP was in Chicago. He didn't win one in Montreal. But, you know, I, I think he had more stolen bases as an expo. So, uh, yeah, after Gary Carter became the first expo in the Hall of Fame, Dawson, I believe, was the second. How about this? He's in the Washington Nationals Ring of Honor. <laughs> That's stupid. Sorry. I'm confused. <laughs> because the expos became the Nationals. What? Oh, of course. And and I should know that considering I was covering the team that spring training here in Vieira when they went from being the Expos to the Nationals. So, okay, now it makes sense, Mark. It's very bizarre. It really is. He never played in Washington, and he's there. Are you sad? I know this has been a story for a long time. Are you sad there's no spring training here in Brevard County? Oh, you better believe it. I mean, look, they've essentially cloistered it to three areas of the state. South Florida, Southwest Florida, and Tampa. And that's all. And, you know, I miss 
you used to go to all of these different places to see baseball, and some of them were, you know, north of here, some were near Orlando, some were south of here. You could just, you could take a couple of days off in spring, see the state, go to the ballparks, and now it's like they're all, you got two, four teams playing in two stadiums in South Florida. You know, same thing's happening over in Naples, Fort Myers, and of course the Braves moved from Orlando over to that area. So I, I do miss it a lot, Mark. Uh, that's what makes the Mets still attractive. You know, they're down off exit 121 off I-95. It's about 70 miles south of where I live. It takes just over an hour to get there. So they're the, the closest thing I can go see. And I also enjoy going down there. They've renovated Clover oh. Park, and I think they did a great job down there. So I, I can't wait to get down there to see a couple of games this spring. Oh, it's awesome. It is. And I tell you this every year, I'm sad there isn't minor league baseball here in Brevard County. I miss the manatees. I do. I do, too. Yeah, I really do. All right. His name's Tim Walters. I've learned so much about the Soiler today. Is that your name? Soiler? Yeah. Doesn't it sound like a really awful Batman villain, yes. like the most disgusting Batman villain? It's the Soiler. Yeah. I, uh, Robin, you can handle this one. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Tim Walters, Florida Today. My man, thanks for your help and have a great day. All right. I love it when a plan comes together.